The good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit have been doing two episodes a week um, for quite some time now, and it's all thanks to, first of all, Jason, and second of all, our patrons, who allow us to add the space on our server, broadcast more, store more, share more with you listeners. I'm envious of those of you who have unlimited storage and media server capabilities. We we pay for ours here at at the C4FAP. It ain't cheap. We thank you so much for those of you who go to patreon.com slash comicsfunprofit and contribute at any level to say thanks, to say I want to be a part of your Slack channel, conversations. I want to get exclusives. I want to get early access. I want to get ad-free access. I want to get swag. I want to get some free stuff. Whatever your reasoning is, we appreciate it at any level because it does make a difference. So from the bottom of Kyle and I and Jason's heart, thank you for contributing. Aloha. This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a very special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I am welcoming back two friends of the show, Mr. Richard Arndt and Mr. Stephen Fears. Now, I have, I have invited them back to talk about their very successful book, Our Artists at War, The Best of the Best American War Comics by Tomorrow's Publishing. Now, tomorrow, Tomorrow's is spelled with T, it's T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S. Again, it's Tomorrow's Publishing. Now, this book is available through the Tomorrow's um, website, um, on the Amazon website, in stock trades, or better yet, just order it from your um, your local comic shop. Now, was, this, oh, oh, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Steve? I just wanted to add also uh, Bud Plant Books. Oh, he, that's right. Yeah, he's yeah, very. Bud's been a very good supporter of our, our efforts, so I'm oh, yes. happy to promote him too. Yes, and then at the, when I start wrapping things up again, you know, remind, you know, and again, it's, um, I'm sorry, but Bud Plants? Yeah, B-U-D-P-L-A-N-T. It's Bud Plant Art, I believe, on the internet. Uh, or art okay. book, something, yeah, something like that. Okay. All right. Highly recommended. If, you, if you're ever looking for something you've heard of and you don't know where to get it, Bud Plant's the guy to go to. All right. Okay. Now, and then Richard and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong on this part. Now, you know, now, um, you know, the um, Our Artists at War book, this is a 160 page um, book that contains eight chapters. The preface is written by um, Roy Thomas and the foreword is written by Willie Franz and the cover is done by the late Joe Kuber. Richard and Steve, welcome back to Comics for Fun and Profit. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Yes, same here. All right. No, thanks, guys. Again, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking us. Yes, that was nice of you. So now for listeners, you know, I I, I interviewed Richard and Steve last year, you know, um, before, you know, before the um, book came out. Um, now that was episode 674, you know, um, and I, you know, and I just want to be clear, when I interviewed them last year, I, you know, I forgot to ask for an advanced copy of that book before the interview. So, you know, um, so you know, if you listen to that um, episode, it's kind of an origin story 
of how, you know, how they came up with the book and so forth. So if you get a chance, please check out that interview. Now for this interview, this is the one you really want to listen to. You know, mm -hmm. um, I've already had, you know, I already got the books and I already told Richard and Steve that, you know, um, I, you know, I picked some chapters, you know, out of the eight chapters, I, I picked uh, some chapters that are read in detail, you know, and I want to, um, that I want to focus in on this interview. I also told Richard and Steve that, you know, unfortunately I didn't, there's a, there is a chapter on Sam Glasman's and the USS Stevens. I, I'm sorry, I didn't read that chapter, but if, yeah, and Richard, like I said, and Steve, if you guys want to talk about that chapter, that's, that's perfectly fine. You know, don't worry about that. Um, again, I will ask Richard and Steve some questions on how they came up um, with the idea of the book and then just jump ahead into the meat and potatoes of this incredible book. If you are a big time um, war comic book um, fan, you know, this book features, you know, the works of, and I'm just going to name a few creators, Harvey Kurtzman, um, John Severin, Joe Kubert, Sam Glasman, um, Robert Hanger, and Willie Franz. So, um, Richard and Steve, do you guys want to add anything to that before we start? Um, before we start going through the questions, don't forget the king of comics, Jack Kirby's in here. Yes, too. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. And Garth Ennis, if you like the boys on yeah. TV or if you like Preacher, Garth Ennis has a lot of big chapter in here, along with Don Lomax and Wayne Van Sant. So. Yes, they're probably the three best current ones. Yes. And, and later in the, um, in the show, we'll be um, focusing a little bit on them as well, too. Okay. okay. So um, actually, Richard, I want to start off with you. Where can listeners follow you on social media? I'm sorry, what? Where can listeners follow you on social media? Uh, I have a um, Facebook page, but that's basically all I'm doing on social media myself. Okay. All right. And then what about you, Steve? I'm about the same. I have a Facebook page that occasionally I will visit it. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. Now, before we start jumping into questions, you know, I want to thank Richard. Richard, thank you very much. You know, you sent me an email a few months ago about how well the book was doing. So, Richard, I'm going to ask you um, first a question, and I'll ask Steve if he wants to add anything else. What was um, how was the response um, of the book when it came out? Well, before we get to that, we should mention that it got COVID delayed for a considerable period of time, which was kind of nerve-wrenching. Mm -hmm. I suspect that's the same thing that happened to Steve, is you just wonder, you're just hanging, wondering if, it, if or when it will ever come out. So. Yes. Because it was supposed to appear in October of last year. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it was delayed first by not being shipped over from China on time mm -hmm. and then delayed because it's set for two months in New York Harbor on a ship. Oh God. Mm -hmm. And so it was supposed to, they backed the time up to November 1st and then they backed it up to don't know when. Mm -hmm. And it actually did come out. I think the week after Christmas, mm -hmm. it started hitting bookstores and stuff, but it was a, that that's a three month wait after you get people who are saying, Oh, I want to buy this. That's a long, yes. Long time. So I was very happy that it finally did come out. Mm -hmm. um, it turned a profit within the first month. I mean, that means all the companies 
money that they put into it for shipping, for printing, for uh, design, for the covers, for the colors, all that stuff, all paid for in the first month. I would say probably the first five weeks. Yeah. And that's that's the best news I've ever had on a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, I said if John Morrow was happy, which made us happy. Yes. And I know he kind of sat on pins and needles waiting for the book to be, you know, along with his other publications that he had printed in China because this wasn't his only book. And, and so he was waiting on it and whatever else at the time to clear customs. Mm-hmm. But yeah. One of the other books that got stuck in limbo was the John Severin book. Yes. Which oh. is a good tie-in with our book because we talk a lot about John Severin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not yeah. as much as we would like to, but, you know, he was a major war artist. So Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, uh, and num- numerous magazines that I had articles and interviews in were held back for months at a time, too. So. Oh. Mm-hmm. But- and still are, at actually, the... Mm-hmm. The time length of when they actually are announced to come out and when they actually do come out is about a month and a half difference. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even now. Yeah. You know, but Richard, I mean, that's amazing that, you know, you know, that, you know, like you said, you know, in five weeks, that that's incredible. That's great. That seems very fast to me. I, I, be frank, my first book, I'm not certain has ever turned a profit. <laughs> <laughs> So even though I think it's a very good book, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it turned. And I don't. My night. I have no idea if it turned a profit because you don't get that usually from a publisher. When a publisher tells you it's we we turned a profit, that's that's a nice thing to hear. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, you know, and then you know, have you heard from any fan? But now this is an off the cuff question. Have you heard of um any fan feedback of the book? Like, wait, if you guys are at a convention most of what what i've gotten is from the amazon reviews which has been a hundred percent favorable and that's also unusual yes if you don't if you read written announcements from comic book fans or reviewers they're often quite vicious (laughs) (laughs) yes not all the time but you know comic fans have a tendency to oh you didn't include what i wanted to read about so i hate you forever types (laughs) Uh, and uh, these have all been very complimentary. The they have pointed out some stuff that they wish. The big biggest thing is they wish the book had been longer. That's a nice thing to hear. Yeah, that's good. Yes, yeah. But I don't think that most people realize that the writers don't set how long the book is. The publisher does. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were told 160 pages. Oh, so, okay. So we came in exactly where we were supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, it, we had to work on it yes. <laughs> to get it that way. But, you know, to be, you know, fair, you know, we had a lot of images that we include, you know, that really filled out the book, you know, yes. but, uh, but then again, with comics being, you know, entirely a visual medium, that's what we needed. And we packed the book with, oh, lots and lots of, you know, pictures to look at. Yes. And I think this would be a good spot to mention our designer for the book because I really yes. think he did an outstanding oh, job. Yes. It was a fellow named Scott. 
Yes. And um, I can't remember his last name. Savadri. It's hard. There you go. Anyway. Okay. Is it, is it he did a fantastic job of making it look good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, he, like to point out that John Cook, the editor of Comic Book Creator and yes. comic book artist at one time, was the guy who found that that Joe Kubert art for the cover. Oh yeah. yes, it was actually an unpublished piece. Yes, okay. that's 1964 drawing when DC was apparently trying to do a GI Joe comic. Oh. Mm -hmm. And it didn't go through, and that was the cut. That's actually G.I. Joe on the cover, not Sergeant Rock. Oh, okay. But, uh, but it had the American flag on it. It had, you know, it's a Joe Hubert cover, so who's going to complain? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, with, with Scott's wizardry, it really turned out good. This is actually the second version of the cover. Mm -hmm. The first one was probably Richard, I think. We, we thought it was just a little busy, so mm -hmm. to speak. So he kind of redesigned some of it and added some elements and moved a few things around. And what you see is we're quite pleased with it. I mean, oh, it's really, really good. I looking. believe he colored this cover or someone did who did a fantastic I, job because it was only in black and white, of course. Originally. So I, I, if you guys don't mind, because um, because I was looking inside the book because I know, um, John, of course, John Morrow had a hand on the book. Um, and Micro um, Cronenberg, I saw him as for the cover design. And then oh, he may have done the cover design. Scott did the interior page. Yes, yes, yeah, and the production. Yes, and then also too, you guys had a um, proofreader too for the book too, um, Kevin Sharp. Yes, I hope he didn't have too many things to do, but we did have one sentence in there that had three complete errors in it. So <laughs> uh, it it made it through, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. That well, was the only one. Everybody mentioned it the first time it came yeah. out. Everybody said, oh, that sentence. And I said, well, one of those things was, you know, spell check. <laughs> <laughs> it kept correcting the guy's name from what we typed into something else. And we didn't catch it on the third or fourth time we went through. Wow. Spell check can be quite maddening. <laughs> spell check does not recognize Juniper as a first name. <laughs> kept turning it to Jupiter. So. <laughs> Oh. All right. So Richard and Steve, um, um, I'm gonna. There's a there is a sentence from the Ford by Willie Franz, and to me, it just sets the tone of the book, and I and I love it. Now, this book demonstrates writers and artists telling stories of conscious and consequences, rather than mere action and adventure. You know. Do you guys want to make a? Mm -hmm. Do you guys want to comment on that? Well, first, that is the the quote that mo comes up most often when people say something about the book. Is mm -hmm. it that that's the one? That's the paragraph they pull out, and I think they're entirely correct. I think that was our intent. Yes, is that we wanted to do the best of the best. Not, I love Sergeant Rock. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm pretty fond of Sergeant Fury. Mm -hmm. But they did things that were physically impossible. Mm -hmm. And they did yes. them for years. If I, I made the joke many times that uh, Sergeant Rock and Sergeant Fury, the two greatest air aces of all time, because they shot down planes constantly for <laughs> yes. 30 years with Tommy guns. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's a physically impossible thing to do. Mm -hmm. 
DC Comics, much as I love them, constantly had uh, anti-aircraft guns hidden in haystacks. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to burn yourself alive. They constantly, both them and Fury, had people throwing grenades down the turrets of tanks. That can't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First off, can't get that high up in the air unless you are like seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. And second, because grenades won't go down a tur- tank turrets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and those, th- those comics are riff with that kind of stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, yeah. Compared to some some stuff, I mean, any superhero comic has stuff like that happening all the time, stuff that's physically. But we wanted stories that were about real things. Yes. And these guys wrote and drew real things. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I'm sure Steve has some comments on that one too. So, mm-hmm. well, uh, you know, uh, probably a lot of the examples we picked are more grounded would be a good way to put it yes but uh but sometimes to tell a story you have to kind of suspend a little belief every now and then to make a point and i mean kirby did that probably more than others but kaniger did too i mean Mm -hmm. but the point is is not to examine it too closely Mm -hmm. sometimes just yes. enjoy the story and it'll make a point or you'll enjoy the art or, or, or something, you know, it's, it's characters that you are kind of uh, becoming attached to would be a good way. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, not just telling a, a one, one off story and uh, that was it. You don't care anymore about who was in it or what happened, mm-hmm. but the people we picked in this book, they would tell stories and you would get engrossed to it. I mean, even with the EC stories, yes, they were grounded with basically real people. So, yes. mm-hmm. uh, but you know, visually, I think the art attracted me first when I was younger. And then mm-hmm. the stories kind of, you know, you start getting in, in, uh, well, you just start read reading better. Yes. Be a good way to put it. <laughs> I think as a librarian, I think it's important to tell the truth mm-hmm. to kids. And I and yes. Kurtzman in one of his comments in the book says he didn't want to lie to children. Yes. Mm-hmm. He knew these books were go mostly going out to kids. I mean, a lot of adults read them, but no matter how many times people say, Oh, they were they were aimed at a higher audience, and they all were. Yes. A lot of kids read them. Mm-hmm. And you really don't want to lie to them. Yes. Um I'm going to actually, I'm going to jump to this question because the first chapter, you know, focused on Harvey Kurtzman and the EC War comics. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the two-fisted tales and frontline combat. Um, and, you know, and there's, I remember reading, you know, he, he, in one of the interviews that you guys put in that chapter, basically he, you know, like you said, he wanted to, you know, he, you know, he there was he felt there was a responsibility to tell kids the truth about war, and he didn't want to glamorize it too. Right. You know, so my question, and Steve, I'm going to ask you first, and Richard you can comment. You know, how important was Kurtzman to the war comic genre? Oh, uh, he to me, he's kind of set the bar really high. 
mm-hmm. as far as accuracy. Yes. You know, uh, uh, he sent his artist to the New York Public Library to do the research. So when they drew a tank or an airplane or a submarine, it was as accurate as possible mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was authenticity was something that was very important to Kurtzman, you know, and plus he, he's sort of anti-war, but also mm-hmm. he, but he served in the war too. Yes. So uh, at World War II, that is not Korea, mm-hmm. but um, he wanted to reflect real people in real situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard? <laughs> I think that those two comics, Two-Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat, pretty much set the template for everything that came after. Yes. Before that, it was all entertainment. Yes. I mean, they were great stuff. Boy Commandos, great stories. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, Blackhawk, great stuff and yes. beautifully drawn. But they were entertainment. These were entertainment plus. Mm-hmm. And that aspect of, and part of that was because they were all war veterans now. In mm-hmm. World War II, they were not veterans. Kirby mm-hmm. and, and Joe Simon were doing those boy commando stories before either one of them got in the military. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And same with all the people doing the Blackhawk stories. They weren't really in combat. They had never been in combat. Will Eisner, not in combat at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, who started, who wrote the first Blackhawk story. Mm-hmm. So when it came about this, the Korean conflict, these guys had been there. They had done that. They had seen people come home who had, had seen people wounded. Yes. People injured, people killed, mm-hmm. come home to grieving families or come home glad to be home. Yes. So I think that made a huge difference. It also got a lot of people angry at them for writing those kind of stories. Mm. Oh, because, okay. yeah, the Kurtzman stuff got a lot of criticism from, from veterans who did not like that coming out in comics, that kind of story. Oh, mm-hmm. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that they were complaining about. Not as much in war comics, perhaps, as they did about other genres, but war comics got their fair share of criticism for it too. And that certainly reflected farther down the line when something like Blazing Combat came up, because mm-hmm. that was directly uh, pushed on by both the military and conservatives in the industry. That's yeah. right. I, if I remember correctly in the chapter, I think you guys didn't t- touch upon that. You know, mm-hmm. that the military didn't, didn't, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, right? No, well, they did. They, they did not like blazing combat because it says any kid reading that or any young soldier reading that won't enlist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or won't want, want to go to Vietnam, which was yeah. what was going on at that particular point in time. So, yeah. And they were probably a little corrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't want to sell them on the bases anymore either because of the, you know, sort of anti-war attitude that those four issues had mm-hmm. in combat. Even though I don't think they were truly anti-war, I just think they were anti-waste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I were... mean, war is a wasteful thing anyway, but mm-hmm. they, and, were, and... Oh, go they ahead. were tough and they didn't pull punches. Yes, I think yeah. And one thing Kurtzman and, and Archie Goodwin and 
writers like that they made the reader stop and think about these things yes not just look at it as entertainment but they actually had a message or a moral or you after you finished it you thought about you know what happened in that story yes you know again consequences yes you know, you know because not just glory you know they, they weren't glorifying war at all and i know you haven't had a chance to read the sam gladsman uss stephen stuff mm -hmm. but sam was served in the military served in the navy Mm -hmm. Well, fought off kamikaze attacks. He was no punk, mm -hmm. no draft dodger, nothing like that. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of them. I made we made the point of saying most of the guys that we're talking about in this book were veterans, and mm -hmm. the ones who weren't were not veterans for a reason. Mm -hmm. Willie Franz, for example, could not get in the military because he had medical problems. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, Garth Ennis, of course isn't an American. He's an Irishman. So. <laughs> but uh, both Don Lomax, Wayne Van Zandt. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Kaniger was in the military. Kubert certainly was. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Kirby was. He was actually, yes. I believe, injured in combat. I don't think he was shot. I think he had his feet frozen during the period of the Battle of the Bulge. But yeah, I mean, if you start, once you start reading about a lot of the creators and comics you'd be surprised how many actually served maybe they didn't go overseas mm -hmm. all of them some yes. stayed here but yes. for the most part they're mm -hmm. all part of the uh the military process mm -hmm. you know, the, the chains of you know that kept things you know going yes um let's see um i was gonna um glansman he Served on board that destroyer named the USS Stevens. So that's a real ship. You yes. know, it's not a made up name. You can Google USS Stevens and, you know, actually. In fact, I was pleasantly surprised to look up how to, how to do the somatics of a, of a, of a, U, a World War II destroyer. Mm -hmm. And they use the USS Stevens as the, as the, Thing. It's actually called the USS Stevens schematic schemes. Yeah. You can actually order the book and, and it'll tell you all about everything about the USS Stevens you may ever want to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure that's because Sam Gladsman wrote USS Stevens years earlier. Yeah. That's probably where they got their information from. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I would be thinking too. And also some of the initial drawings because it looks awful lot like Sam's talking about ships. Yeah, it's a, it's a Fletcher class ship. I remember because I, mm -hmm. I I built a model of the Fletcher. <laughs> wow. Anyway, um, one thing I want to point out, and sorry, this is off the cuff um, observation, you know, because um, now correct me if I'm wrong, because the frontline combat um these EC that was published by EC were now correct me if I'm wrong, these were pre comic book code right was that is that correct the code uh yes yes you're talking about the comics code the yes comics code yes both mm -hmm. of those were pre-comics code now uh yeah those mm -hmm. and unfortunately the volume you have there i think there's three volumes of the frontline combat that now is i think dark horse is doing and i think there's four volumes of the two-fisted tales Oh, okay. We highly yeah. recommend go buy every one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
you know, best thing I ever spent money on, as far as yep. I was concerned. Yes. Yeah. So, listeners, I know, you know, it's just because. Plus, look at that cover you've got in your hands. Yes. Yeah. Look at that coloring. That's Marie Severin, John Severin's sister, doing that. Oh, okay. Look at the flare of light. That's fantastic. That's something you don't see in comics most of the time these days. Mm. That ability to make light flare up in front of your eyes. Yeah. And that's Harvey Kurtzman drawing right there, too. So. Yeah. Okay. Because the other thing, I think, it, um, actually, let me, let me ask you this question, because now this is all pre-comics code. The military was against it. And because in frontline combat, you know, I read some stories, you know, you see, you know, you see bullets being, you know, riddled, you know, you know, you know, you know, so soldiers are getting shot at. You see, you know, grenades are going off, bombs are being dropped and craters are created, you know, on the ground and so forth. And then, um, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm kind of jumping ahead because you guys touched upon this too in the book. How did the comics code change the um, war comics? You okay. couldn't show someone actually being shot right in front of you. Yes. Russ Heath got around that by having the bullets not shown. He would be shooting at somebody with a Tommy gun, Sergeant Rock, for example. And behind the guy who was getting actually shot, you can see bullets hitting the wall behind him. Mm -hmm. So they didn't actually show the blood and the gore and the thing hitting him, uh -huh. but they showed the bullets plow had gone through him to hit that wall behind him. Yeah. Uh, battlefields got very clean. Mm -hmm. yeah. There, there were weren't any bodies laying around on the battlefield. There weren't any blown up tanks. I mean, there were blown up tanks. You saw them in earlier things, but there, you, when you when they did a panoramic view, it looked like they were walking through a nice little bit meadow. Yeah, you might see a hand, or you might see a helmet oh. laying somewhere, or yes. smoke. <laughs> there were there were ways of covering up, you know, the violence that was happening. Yes, or the violence might be described in a caption, mm -hmm. but when you're looking at the actual art nothing's you're not seeing any of that you're seeing mm -hmm. the aftermath maybe somebody's jerking but that's it you don't see a yeah. bullet actually hit them right because um we're gonna and that was mild compared to a lot of what the comics code did yeah yes mm -hmm. so um because we're going to come back to the comics code when we start talking about um don lomax's um Vietnam Journal mm -hmm. and also some of the war comics that start to come out in the late maybe around the either in the 90s or in the early 2000s when okay. the comics code was almost I think it was either uh, code was gone. it yeah. was fading out of out of use yeah yes they were allowing more things to be seen or written or, or you know words you know some of the words were more allowed yes but, uh, but a lot yeah. more blood yes, yes. and it got, yes and um like i said i'm going to hold off to that because in my notes you guys seen it because i want to hold off on um on that part so um now one of your other chapters in the early 60s you guys mentioned or in, yeah, in the early 60s 
Charlton Comics and um, and DC Comics um, were the were pretty much the only publishers printing more than one war title per month. Well, that's not quite correct. Okay. Dell published several, and when Dell and, and Whitman split, and Whitman became Gold Key, Gold Key published several titles as well. Mm-hmm. But Gold Keys weren't weren't serious stuff. They were like adaptations of Hogan's Heroes and Rat Patrol and TV oh, shows. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Whereas Dell did Combat, which was one of the best books out there, and World and, War stories. And, yeah, and they all like had... War stories, that sort of thing. Yeah, Air War stories and yeah. World War world war stories and they're all done by glansmen most of them but jungle tales jungle war tales wasn't true but but the other three were yeah yeah jungle war stories i think and then it changed to guerrilla war Mm -hmm. oh yeah it did okay yeah in his last few Mm -hmm. but it was also jungle war stories was also the first one to do regular vietnam stories yes before anybody else was doing that, except mm-hmm. for EC did one Vietnam story when it was still uh, French Indochina. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to ask, when you talked about the, you know, the jungle war stories, um, when they did Vietnam war stories at that time, um, you, like how, how accurate, now this is an off the cuff question because it's the first time I've ever heard about this, this series. How accurate was the stories being told about the Vietnam War? Hmm. Probably. Well, this was actually some of those stories came out pre-US major involvement. So it was advisors and that sort of thing going. Okay. So it it I don't know how accurate you might say. I mean they were better written. They were not glory hounding stuff. They were not wave flag waving propaganda type stories. They were actually decent war stories. Okay. All right. I don't know if they were what I would call class A stories, mm-hmm. but good solid B stories. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's, okay. That's a good way to kind of grade them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, going back to my question, sorry. So um, now, you know, um, let's see. Now, chapter two focuses on Robert, um, on um, Robert, um, Hanger and Joe Kubert's creation, The Enemy Ace. Now, mm-hmm. Richard, I'm going to start off with you first, and then Steve, please comment. You know, may I ask, you know, um, why was he, why was The Enemy Ace the focus of this chapter? And why, before we continue, I should ask if you can just give a little bit of origin story of who The Enemy Ace is to, you know, you know younger readers and new listeners. Enemy Ace was DC's anagram of the Red Baron. Mm-hmm. He had the same kind of plane, same color of plane, same three-wing plane, but he was not um, the he was not the Red Baron. He was the Hammer of Hell. Mm-hmm. Enemy Ace was a name that they just put up there. Nobody ever called him that in the stories, ever. Mm-hmm. Just the title of his series. Mm-hmm. But he was called the Hammer of Hell. He was called, um, well, Hans von Hammer. So yes, mm-hmm. yeah. so. Um, but he was a World War I German, and they, they had a problem with that when they came up with the idea. Well, I, I thought it was a great idea, mm-hmm, but they yeah. had a problem when they started that off, because first off, he's a German fighting against Americans, and he's going to be possibly shooting down Americans all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you make him sympathetic? So they made him uh, kind of a Poe-like character. Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe, he, he went around 
internally twisted by the decisions he was having to make about killing people. Yes. And, um, and the, the recognition that he was getting for it, like the Red Baron, he got little silver cups mm-hmm. to commemorate each plane he shot down, which they kept, which the Germans actually kept up until silver became too scarce in the late part of the war. Mm-hmm. Used to give him little silver cups that would, and he could put them on up on a big shelf and display them to everybody that he was that shot that many planes down. But he was, first off, I we were both, I think, Personally, I wanted to make sure Joe Kubert got into that thing, into the book, because he certainly has done enough worthwhile work. But and Kaniger is a good writer who had was like I mentioned in the book, he was a gimmick writer for a lot of his his career. Mm-hmm. And that I'm not saying anything against that. A lot of people were gimmick writers who were really good. Yeah. Um, a lot of radio shows are well remembered today, but they were all gimmick shows if they were mysteries. They, that's the whole point. It's a gimmick show. Mm-hmm. Got the MacGuffin. Uh-huh. Here, the MacGuffin was he was a German, and they were, and DC was a little afraid of it, of having a, a German soldier. So, ger- the enemy ace Hans von Hammer never fought an American in the original run. Mm-hmm. He fought French, he fought British, but he never fought an American until the mid 70s. Mm-hmm. But when he started out in the 60s, no. Mm-hmm. And they were still worried about it that when they did ads for the new character that they were going to debut in the back of Sergeant Rock, I think it was. Mm-hmm. They didn't show his picture oh. or his plane. All they showed was a bunch of question marks. Who is the major character who's going to be? Who, who, who is it? Yeah. Because they didn't want to, in the same way the Black Panther had his mask changed to hide the fact that he was black on the cover of Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. They yeah. didn't want to offend Southerners. They didn't want to offend Americans by saying, we're going to put out a, a, a comic book where the hero is a German guy fighting against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not supposed to be, the readers, American readers aren't supposed to be sympathetic toward what is termed the enemy. Mm-hmm. In this case, they were trying to show an enemy combatant who actually kind of had morals and a conscience yes which was kind of what i think they were trying to get at you know mm-hmm. for the reader and things were getting about this time a little more sophisticated in comics i mean mm-hmm. so there were uh, you know sergeant rock had a, a black soldier yes you know? yeah and they talked so about the sergeant him. fury yeah mm-hmm. he they bleed red blood so, I mean, these were, you know, changing times in the U.S. and, and uh, civil rights movement and stuff like that. So uh-huh. some of these comics were reflecting possibility that there are other viewpoints that can be presented. Mm-hmm. Yes. And one of the things I don't think most people outside comics realize is that the war comics were really the ones that brought a lot of the social stuff up long before anybody mm-hmm. else did. Oh, okay. Um, EC did a story on the 442nd uh, yes. Nisai yes. Uh, division. Didn't have to do that, yeah. but they did it anyway. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first black soldier in who was in an integrated unit, even though integrated units did not exist in World War II, yeah. was Sergeant Rock with Jackie mm-hmm. Johnson, like Steve was saying. The second one was Gabriel Jones and Sergeant Fury, again, integrated into a white unit, even though that was not possible. Mm -hmm. 
or having a and drink. it was so unusual that he was actually colored white in the first issue by the printer because they thought that the directions to color in black were incorrect <laughs> mm-hmm. and he did not appear as a brown african-american for like 45 issues he was gray yeah mm-hmm. he was he was brown on the covers but gray inside the book all the time yeah to placate i suppose southern states mm-hmm. yeah but and a lot of uh characters really didn't profess a religion yes like during those years of war comics uh all the the names are about the only things that gave them away mm-hmm. possibly but uh, you had to say, oh, well, I think this character is Jewish or, uh-huh. you know, or something or, or of German descent or, uh-huh. you know, or Scandinavian or something just from, you know, the way their last name is yes. like, uh, in Blackhawk, you know, yeah. since that was a, a multi, you know, uh, European combat uh-huh. group at first, you know, or multinational. So anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah, so like I said, in the 60s, it was, you know, the writers like Kaniger and some of the mm-hmm. others were starting to kind of explore, you know, ethnicity and, yes. and other themes like, you know, you know, the Holocaust and stuff like yes. that. Yes. And the USS Stevens series introduced homosexuality to, mm-hmm. uh, to war, com- not just to war comics, to comic books completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a story called but... Toro that was yes. about it. They never mentioned homosexuality once. You just had to draw the inferences. Mm-hmm. Yes. He was clearly gay. Mm-hmm. And they did another story that was on uh, racism in the military where blacks didn't get combat pay because they only worked as stewards on, stewards on the boat, mm-hmm. on the ship. So they weren't getting combat pay, even though on occasion they may have to step up and fight in combat. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and that was the deal of that period. Yeah, it's a shame that earlier on in comics they didn't explore like the Tuskegee Airmen and and you know some yes groups mm-hmm. like that. They would have, to me, would have made good continuing characters. Mm-hmm. But, but, but there the, is an excellent Tuskegee Airman graphic novel by Garth Ennis that is well worth reading. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. It's a really good book on it. Mm-hmm. So, and then it may take a while for everybody mm-hmm. to catch up, but eventually it gets done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Richard, you mentioned about the, um, you know, the 442nd, and because before we started the interview, um, because like, to my surprise, because I have, again, you know, I sh- because you guys, because you and Steve can see it, because I have the uh, frontline combat, um, the EC archives. I'm flipping through here, and I see a short story about the 442nd. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I, was, I was pretty amazed that it's probably, and it's probably like maybe one of the first and maybe one of the earliest um stories that focused on the 442nd you know in comics i think you're right i think it's probably is exactly the first one yeah and then oh i'm sorry oh go ahead no what were you gonna say steve sorry kersman had the clout you know since he was primary writer and editor of the you know those two combat 
you know, you know there are war books for EC mm-hmm. that he could uh, do stories like that. You know, yes. they pretty well. EC was very progressive in, uh, you know, the the themes that they would present, not only in the war comics, but in their other comics too. They they explored, you know, racism and and uh, oh gosh, bigotry, injustice, and like that, injustice mm-hmm. and and you know, fairness and, and truth and stuff like that. So Kurtzman was a truth teller, like Richard has said. Yes. And you got to give Bill Gaines, the publisher, a big pat on the back for that sort of thing, too, because it wasn't just in the war comics. He had uh, shock suspense stories, did stories about the Klan. They didn't call them the Klan. They were dressed in red, but they were dressed in Klan uniforms. Mm -hmm. Um, He did stories about cops actually committing crimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Firebugs, it turned out to be firemen. Mm -hmm. People thought, oh, that couldn't happen. There was a huge case in California a few years ago of a, co- of a fireman doing exactly that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That hundreds of fires. Yeah. Or there's even one EC story about uh, a man who's blind, but he's at a parade and he can't see the flags. And the crowd around him are super patriots and start inferring, you know, all the wrong things about this guy. They wind up, I think, beating him and killing him. Yeah, they so, beat him to death. Yes. So, I mean, there's, EC like to, you know, present you know, injustice. Mm-hmm. And, and again, there's that famous but, story that they did called. Uh, Master Race. Yes, Master Race, which examines concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And it came out one month before the code came in and took over. And nothing in that story could have been published. Oh, mm-hmm. In the yeah. way it was presented that month, if it had come out a month later, it'd been completely disqualified by the comics code. Yeah, it was in the first issue of Impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you should get that one. <laughs> I would get Impact just for that one story. Yep. But uh, Because it is a fantastic story. It's got everything. Uh, I mean, just brilliant writing, brilliant art. Mm-hmm. Even today, you could teach a master class on the artwork in that book. Yeah. And that's one story. If you read a little history about uh, Bernard Craigstein, who did the art, he took the story and took the art and took things apart and reassembled them the way he wanted. Mm-hmm. So, and visually, it's different from, I think uh, Feldstein probably wrote it. Yeah, Al Feldstein. Mm-hmm. Who was a lead writer for uh, an editor of Mad Magazine for decades? So. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, um, so, but listeners, you know, again, that story about the four forty second, you know, code mm-hmm. in EC Comics. When I read it, you know, it it was the dialogue was very natural. It was very real. It didn't. Uh, it was. It was. It was well written. It you know um, you know it it was just very well written, and then also too Richard, you're also telling me that there was another story um, about the um, 442nd and had to deal with a sergeant with had, also had to de- deal with the um, sergeant yeah. Rock, written by it's a Billy sergeant King. Rock graphic novel that the 442nd made a major cameo not cameo it's a, they're in most of the book 
and I can't remember the title, but it's by a fellow named Billy Tushy. T I think it's called The Lost Battalion, maybe? Yeah, that's it. The La Sergeant Rock, The Lost Battalion. Yes. And uh, it's first off, Billy Tucci is one of the best artists you will ever see. Yes. It's yeah. like looking at cathedral stained glass windows all the time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he cares about accuracy also. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, that's good. And... Uh, I bought one of my granddaughters his uh, Christmas book. Yes, the oh, because he did a Christmas comic about Jesus, yes. which was fabulously drawn and really and this time it went really well written. I'm trying to remember the title. I, I know which one you're talking about. Yes, I can't remember. Yes, but yeah, um, yes, and probably watch after as soon as we finish the interview, then the title will come to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, be all right. Of course. <laughs> Or you can go Google them. Yes. <laughs> On Amazon, I guess. Anyway. All right. Um, let's see. Um, my next question. Um, so my next question is, you know, how did you guys, and Steve, I'll start off with you. How did you guys decide, like, um, what to focus uh, for each chapter? What, how did you guys decide what to focus on? On oh, each goodness. chapter of the book? I think early on there was a, you know, we got each other's email addresses and we're just, you know, corresponding and, and, you know, sort of talking about, you know, ideas for a book and just, mm -hmm. it just kind of a, a back and forth and it just kind of, I don't know, over time it started coming together that we should collaborate, you know, because uh, mm -hmm. we both have an interest in the big five titles to start with but it was more than that yes when we refer to the big five for your listeners uh that's dc had five war comics out in the late 50s and they were called the big five mm -hmm. and we were thinking that i don't know whose idea it was that the big five shouldn't really refer to to titles they should refer to the best stories Mm -hmm. It started out with the idea that it would be five writers, or and it grew to be a bigger than the big five. So of course that title didn't match any longer. But yes. yeah. And John Morrow actually gave us the title of our book, and it was a really good title. So I'm not complaining one little bit about that. <laughs> now, Richard, I'm going to say the the big five that you're talking about from DC, the titles. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm hoping I got it correct. Is that it was our army at war. Our Fighting Forces, All-American Men of War, Star Spangled War Stories, and GI Combat. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. And then um, now, let's see. Uh, and then um, and then from there, like, how, how did you guys, um, how did you guys do your research? Or how did you collect your research? Did you have some of these comics in your collection? Or did you... Uh, that I'll say yes to that. <laughs> yes, I have hundreds. I have like four boxes full of just war comics. Yeah, I have. I've got and a couple of shelves devoted to graphic novels. Yeah. Comics, so, yeah, I have all the DC War comics and just uh, we're we're pack rats would be a good way, to, sort of a nope. way to put it. We're, no, we're know, collectors, Steve. We're collectors, we're not cat rats. <laughs> okay, we are aficionados. Yes. You know, we, I mean, but it's more than just one to have it, read it once, put it on a shelf. It's, you know, we really appreciate the, the writing and, and the, 
you know, in the graphic storytelling and the art and, you know, there's, it's more than just, okay, I got this. I'll save it for, you know, 30 years. Yes. So, and we both, you know, really like all these books that we've, you know, have enjoyed all the, you know, from childhood on to now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Still and some of that stuff was easy to collect. Sergeant Rock, yeah. not that difficult to find books. Yeah. Yes. Or Sergeant Fury. Yes. That Charlton stuff, that was not, that was not as easy as you might think. It's much cheaper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's they, not easy to find them all. Yes. They had so, so many different titles over the years and reprints and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But well, and they used the same title for like five different comics yeah. too. So that didn't have matters. Oh god. But there's really some, you know, if you don't mind and you're very patient, there's some good stuff in those Charlton War comics. You know, I don't want yes. You know. I like Pat Boyette's stuff there. I like Tom mm-hmm. Sutton's in particular. I like Tom Sutton's mm-hmm. really good at war comics. And you wouldn't think so because he's mostly done did Star Trek or he did uh, horror comics. Yeah, yes. really good war artist, mm-hmm. and he painted covers. Charlton put painted covers on their stuff. Oh, Marvel yeah. and DC did not do that. Dell did. Yeah, Key did. Yes, but they were big time comic book people, and and Charlton actually put painted covers in. There were some really good painted covers on those. Yeah, things. yeah, boy, it did a lot. Of, well, he did quite a few of them, but Tom Sutton did some too. Mm-hmm. Tom did only a couple of war comics, but he did mm-hmm. a lot of horror, painted horror covers, and they're yeah. really, really good. And they would entice you. I mean, you look at that stuff, you say, yeah, I want that comic. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And Charlton, unlike others, wasn't afraid to get a little bit over the edge, too. Yeah. To see yeah. a bondage cover on a comic in the 70s was a way unusual. And they, Tom Sutton painted a bondage cover on one <laughs> But one thing, and it's probably a good time to mention this, Charlton didn't watch their, you know, their editors didn't, you know, oversee some of this, you know, material that appeared, you know, especially the, the Willie Schultz and maybe toward the end that it got pointed out to some of them and they pulled the plug. But uh, for a while, I mean, Willie Franz could, you know, explored some, some themes and stories that might, you know, we're lucky to get get presented mm-hmm. you know and sam did you know the art matched the story you know perfectly and you're talking about sam glansman mm-hmm. so yes steve i'm going to say this is the perfect segue because i was because my next question i'm going to ask you first and richard please comment because you already mentioned willie franz mm-hmm. um talk about you know um how willie franz and sam glansman teamed up to write one of um, Charlton Comics, uh, Charlton Comics, um, War Comics. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you talk about the character that they came up with. Basically, Franz, you know, liked uh, Glansman artwork. Sam did an, a lot of stories for Charlton. Mm-hmm. And he wrote him a fan letter and, you know, they kind of got, to, you know, and then he kind of, I think, wrote kind of, I might be wrong, Richard, you can correct me. I think we were connected for actual working together by editor Dick Giordano. Yes. But they were already in contact with each other because Willie had been sending fan letters to Sam Gladsman for a while. Yeah. And And Sam didn't realize his name. uh, No, go ahead. 
Oh, Sam didn't realize Willie's age at first either. Right. He, he was 15 years old when he was writing, started writing for them. And he was writing tough stories. That was mature work. Very mature work. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a good pairing of, you know, two creative people. And I think Sam was surprised at uh, how good Willie wrote. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the stories still hold up to this day. I mean, they're, they're that strong. Willie so, told me a story about he he wrote a story called the Cupidaw, which Sam did not illustrate it. I think San Samuel King, a Korean artist, illustrated it. I'm not oh. going to swear to that one either. But it was not Sam who drew it. But it's about two kids who are amoral and they 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 kill people over getting if they give them food they they're not happy to see them they they'll be willing to kill you if they that's what they thought they needed to get away and survive in that World War II era. Mm -hmm. And he showed that to Joe Kubert as a as a story he thought that DC might like. And Kubert said, this is really dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he, he only got one story published by EC or DC, excuse me. But, mm -hmm. but uh, Willie wrote dark stuff. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, yeah. And uh, again, Charleston's editorial, you know, or overseers, uh -huh. it just kind of slipped by him, you know, yes. it, it made it through, which is a good thing, really. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, otherwise, I don't think the stories would be as, as relevant or as strong if they had been heavy, you know, heavily edited. Yes. None of what Willie and Sam did at Charlton would have been okayed at either DC or Marvel. Yes. Oh, yeah. None that, of them. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. At that time. 20 years later, yes, but mm -hmm. not, not in the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. yeah. And then um, now, um, um, you know, um, let's see. Do um, you guys want to talk about how um, the, um, because one of the comics that um, Willie and Sam, and oh, before I, I want to let readers know again, is that, there is a chapter focused on Charlton comics and especially on Willie Franz mm -hmm. and the character and the, and one, and one of Charlton's comics um, continuing um, war in one of their war comics, one of their uh, uh, continuing characters that he wrote for was called Willie Schultz. So you guys want to talk about that and the, the importance of Willie Schultz in the Charlton comics. Willie would or Willie Franz would have been about 16 when he started that one off. And it the plot line concerns an American soldier who's accused of falsely accused of murdering a general's son. And he's been condemned to the firing squad for that. And during a attack by the Germans on his Jeep that's carrying him to his death, he gets away and he for the rest of the serial, he switches back and forth between serving with the Germans or serving with the Americans, which is a pretty radical idea because he's actually in battles mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> in dealing with that kind of stuff when he's opposing his own side, trying not to do anything. But, you know, you got to stay alive. You got to stay alive. So. Mm -hmm. And it didn't get concluded in the 70s because of reasons that are said in the book. I don't know if we need to go into them. But it is going to be concluded. We, meant, we mentioned we had the cover of the of a upcoming collection, yeah. and 
a page from that story illustrated by Wayne Van Zandt because Sam Gladsman was in his 90s and it was too old to, to finish the story off. Mm -hmm. And it is going to be published at this point in January 10th of next year. Wow. As a hardcover, I believe, by Dark Horse. And it is on Amazon if you want to look at pre-stuff. Pre it's, it's well worth your time. It's been years and years in the making. I mean, yes. many years in the making yes. at this point. Because this was first brought up in the early 90s as, as completing the th story. Mm -hmm. And Good. it just didn't happen then. So it's 30 years later almost now, and it's got a chance to come out after many, many stoppages. <laughs> yes, it's been a long time, a long journey to conclude it. Yes. Yeah. But I've read the ending, and I think Steve has too, and yes. I guarantee you it is as good as all the rest of the book. Okay. Yeah. And Wayne Van, we'd like to, since we kind of did a chapter, and Wayne Van Zandt is one yes. of our three favorite current creators yes uh yeah he he does a, a very marvelous job you know with that concluding chapter mm -hmm. yeah he's he's very word he's if you had to choose someone to do it mm -hmm. he'd be the go-to person yes and i think it was our suggestion to sue that got wayne okayed for that so mm -mm. Mm -hmm. i'm not sure which of us said that first but she apparently paid attention and took a look because Wayne's art is not that far from Sam's. Mm -hmm. Just like Sam's is not that far from Joe Kubert's. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, as a sidelight, Kubert, I mean, Glansman did some of the uh, for Dale, the uh, uh, Green Beret comics, and he uh, had to sort of imitate Kubert's, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, strip style that Kubert was doing for the comic strips of mm -hmm. the Green Berets. So anyway, that's kind of a side, side light there. Um, actually, Steve, I'm gonna to jump to the next question. And okay. actually, I'm gonna start off with you, Richard, because you already talked about Wayne Van Sant. Now, in the mid eighties, you know, there was a shift of war stories from World War II because we've, you know, we because I've seen, because I've, you know, I read comics in the 80s and I already saw Sergeant Rock comics. It was, it was not, I can't, I can't say the right term, but well, I'll just say, but it was slowly dying out already, mm -hmm. you know, but also too, in the mid 80s, we also saw the emergence of um, um, stories about Vietnam, you mm -hmm. know. So I'm going to ask, you know, and we're talking, and I'm talking about like Marvel's, you know, um, the Nam series, um, um, and also I think, uh, and Don Lomax's um, Vietnam Journal. So I'm going to ask you, so I'm going to start off with you, Richard, is, um, and also correct me if I'm wrong, because I think Wayne Van Sant also started to do some Vietnam stories in that time period too. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. He was doing black and white short pieces for a magazine called Savage Tales. They, no, those were World War II, but he did do some other ones. Okay. Yeah. He did some of the, the NOM stories, too. Yes. In a few covers. Yeah. Well, he did a lot of the NOM stories. He was probably yes. the main artist on the book for most of his time, although mm -hmm. they occasionally had other artists step in and do, you know, take him off. And... Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I think that... Uh, 
Well, we mentioned earlier that uh, Two-Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat were drawn by combat veterans from World War II, which was only five years in the past. Yes. Um, a lot of the stories in those books centered on the Korean War, which is current. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it was World War II up until we got into Vietnam, and there was a few efforts. DC did it, attempted to do a series. It was dreadful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Vietnam. It really was dreadful. <laughs> and uh, Marvel did World War II stories that were addressing the Vietnam, and so did DC. Sergeant Rock, a lot of Sergeant Rock stories addressed that stuff. But after the failure and the protest against the war, they didn't do very many Vietnam stories. I think I can only remember one in the early 70s mm-hmm. and one in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And those are two short pieces. That, nobody else was doing Vietnam stories except for, again, Charlton did them for, mm-hmm. with uh, Shotgun Harker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was stationed in Vietnam. And that was a Joe Gill story mm-hmm. series, drawn mostly by Sam Gladsman, but not completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another artist who started it off who passed away and then they, I think it was Bill, Jack Miller, maybe Jack Miller that was the guy who came in after Sam. Uh, there, there were several. Jack Keller, he was the guy who did their uh, Speed Dragster comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Baki, uh, I think, also. Uh, yeah, Bucky yeah, Baki was the guy who started it off. Yeah, mm-hmm. anyway. But he passed away. But uh, by the 80s, the people who were starting Doug Murray and uh, Don Lomax were Vietnam veterans. They mm-hmm. didn't have all that experience with um, World War II or the Korean War. And the Vietnam War had been untouched mostly for the last two decades. Yes. Mm-hmm. Completely untouched. So it was an open place. You could write any, you could write a good stories there and it wouldn't be copying the same old stuff. You mentioned that they were the Sergeant Rock and Sergeant Fury getting yes. a little tired well, that's because they'd been operating in, in a five-year war for 20-plus years at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So that wouldn't be unusual. And uh, so the NOM, I partic- in particular, because it was Comic Code approved, was actually a pretty daring thing to start off with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Don Lomax's stuff was independently published. So they didn't have to worry about the Comics Code whatsoever. Yes. Yeah. And Van Zant was going, you know, he was doing the NOM for a long time. And when that stopped, he went into independent publishing too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's done a lot for a lot of different publishers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he has a, a book about the history of Vietnam. So, <laughs> Vietnam. Yeah, and it's a really good book on the history of Vietnam. Yeah, but Don Lomax, uh, you know, I, he's, you know, well worth you know getting all all of his books yes but, but also van zant's if you can track down all of his stuff they're all good you know mm-hmm. so and then you got garth ennis who yes. people think of him only as a superhero or as that violent superhero stuff but yes he writes really really good yeah. novel, graphic novels yes and some of them are based on you know probably would be uh historic you know you know, uh, historic fiction would be a good way to put it, but uh, some of his stories, like the string bags, is based on 
real, real people, real incidents, uh, mm -hmm. you know, real squadrons, things like that. So mm -hmm. there's one about Russian snipers called Lara that we I only we put a picture of it and made a short mm -hmm. comment, but we didn't really have time to ex space to expand on it. Mm -hmm. But it's an excellent book. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a true thing, too. There were women snipers in the Soviet army during World War II. Oh, well, there were women pilots, too. Yes, yeah. he did Night Witches. Night Witches. Which I'm surprised he wrote that Night Witches story. And then about two, three years later, a whole bunch of Night Witches books came out. <laughs> yeah. By women writers. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was surprised at how many people were using the word Night Witches because that's that was their nickname, not their designation. I'd like to throw back to, you know, your, your 442nd reference, yes. you know, one thing that, you know, Kurtzman and a lot of comic readers were, you know, probably eight to 14 years old that were reading these things, even back in the early fifties. And then they graduate, you know, they got older and then a new group shows up, uh, yes. you know, and start reading comics. And these are places where a lot of these kids, they didn't know much history. Yes, that's they got exposed to the 442nd or, you know, World War One pilots or, you know, Vietnam and things like that. This gave them a chance to go explore, you know, the, the real history about these, you know, people and places and things. So it was kind of a history channel for kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of it was fiction, of course, but it was historic fiction you know well even DC and, and marvel when they did a d-day special or something like that they tried yeah. to be accurate to a lot of the stuff yes they were including their characters in it but that's, that's, you would expect that yeah mm -hmm. but i'm going to say but you know but steve that's a very good point because and richard you also made a point too because when i started to read sergeant rock comics i mean again i'm like i'm 10 15 years old Mm -hmm. Sitting in, you know, sitting in a classroom, somebody, you know, a teacher talking to us about history and stuff, and I'm, you know, and and let's be up, and I'm, I'm sorry, Richard, I know you're a librarian, but you know, but most kids are kind of, if they're not into it, they're going to be bored. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like you know, reading Sergeant Rock comics. Oh, okay, this is you know, World War II, but you know, so we're exposed a little bit about the history, you know, World War II, but then also too, Richard, like you said, you know, um, also the social commentaries, you know, were already, you know, were already being put into place already too. Because again, honestly, I didn't even realize that in World War II that there were, you know, there are segregated units. I didn't know that there was just one for whites and one for blacks. Yeah. I just thought that everyone just served all together, basically. Well, or Asians, you know, for that matter, with 442nd. You know, that's, yeah. And I just thought that, you We're know. not allowed I mean, to fight in the Pacific, by the way. Yeah. Yes, that's right. They sent them to Europe. Yeah. Because they thought American soldiers would mistake them for the Japanese and shoot down their own men. Yes, yeah. No, yeah. Or they would have a problem. It's fighting people that look like them yes or so, might be relatives for all we knew yeah, yeah. although that did problem didn't bother him when they sent white boys over to fight white germans <laughs> yeah yeah that's true yeah that's true too yeah there's yeah unfortunately in the you know when you start studying war and, and you know a lot of a lot of good people had good intentions but they they didn't carry it through you know 
it didn't work out right. Yes. You know, but anyway, that's it in a nutshell, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. But one thing that comics, you know, they were trying to do was point out injustice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, and it's kind of hard to talk about World War II and the injustices and not address on occasion the injustices that were happening behind our lines. Yes. So. Yeah. You know, and uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, that's a whole another <laughs> whole chapter right there could be on just you know bigotry and and uh, you could probably do a whole book on that at this mm-hmm. point. but anyway before i continue on because i i want to go back to this because um we have to talk about the king richard i'm going to ask i'm going to start off with this was um I didn't know this. I didn't know that Jack, I, I knew Jack Kirby did the boy, if I remember correctly, he did the boy commandos, correct? Right. Okay. Yes. But I didn't know in this, I did not know in the 70s that he wrote and drew the losers, you know? So, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, it, uh, you know, I, you know how, how did that come about? How did, do you guys know how that came about and so forth? And you Kirby's know, own comics, which were mostly science fiction or superhero. Yes. Uh, DC had kind of soured on him. But they had a contract with him saying he had to write a certain number of pages, write and draw a certain number of pages a month. Mm-hmm. So they gave him the losers because it was the one that, I don't know exactly why they gave him the losers. It was actually going through an extremely good storyline at that point in time mm-hmm. by Robert Kaniger and John Severin. Mm-hmm. But Herbie took over, took over the book for a year. Oh, okay. 12 issues straight, which fulfilled his contract. And then he was out of D.C. for about six or seven more years. Mm -hmm. But um, that's basically how that came about, is he had a prescribed number of pages, and they had to find something for him to draw. Mm -hmm. And they were leery about starting a new book, since he'd already had two new books on the stands at that time, and they didn't want to do three. Mm -hmm. So they gave him an established title, which in Kirby fashion, he promptly ignored everything that had gone before. Okay, yes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. A lot of writers do that. Yeah. Kirby, it just became noticeable because his storylines never followed anything close to what was coming on before it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you took over Jimmy Olsen, you would not have known it was the same book. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, it wasn't like he was... I mentioned in the book that you could have read every loser story as a different story about four different soldiers, each issue. Mm-hmm. And it would have worked. It would have read just as well as it did. It, he was not continuing the characterizations of them whatsoever. Yeah. But they were all good stories, solid stories. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any of them that were stunk. Mm-hmm. And I really think a small place in hell and the partisans are two of the best 1970s war comics out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Small place in hell is just action from one end to the other, mm-hmm. but carefully done action. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the book where Lieutenant Cloud, who was the, who was not the leader in the in pre Kirby books, was mm-hmm. Captain Storm was the leader. Yes, Lieutenant Cloud became Kirby's go-to leader for them. Mm-hmm. He his face gets scorched by a flamethrower, mm-hmm. and over the course of the pages, without saying anything about it. 
his eyes slowly get more and more swelled until he's just looking through two glints between his eyes. That's all he can see because his face is scorched. Mm-hmm. And Kirby doesn't mention that anywhere that he that his eyes are scorched or that he's been burned by that flamethrower. You just and he's going blind as he's fighting this battle. He just didn't let you infer that as you read along. And I thought that's really subtle, good storytelling. Mm, yeah. Just that his eyes get more and more swelled and more and more squinty as the story goes along. And he doesn't draw any because there's no time to do any of that. Yeah. This is a breakneck story. Mm. And it's it was, I, I think it's a fantastic story. There's not yeah. a minute lapse in that battle from start to finish. Yeah, I think it's a good example of, you know, the the artist is the writer and you know, the writer is the artist, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know. It's instead of two people working on one thing with two different viewpoints, mm-hmm. it's his viewpoint, you know. Yes. He has the vision for what he wanted to do with these characters, mm-hmm. you know, for all these issues. And so, and, and people kind of dismiss Kirby as a writer, but honestly, he wrote a lot of stuff, you know, yes. during his career. He wrote a lot. He co-wrote a lot of those Boy Commando stories. Yeah. yeah. So, And I think he wrote a lot of the ones right up through the mid-50s. He was the main writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, or co-writer on almost everything he was putting out there for a while. Yeah. And I think he continued that even though he didn't write the dialogue when he was working with Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lee wrote the dialogue, but Kirby wrote the dialogue on the sides of the panels around it, so that Kirby Lee would know what was going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Um, I'm going to move on to. I'm going to kind of jump in around. So, um, Richard. So, I'm going to ask you to talk about this character that Wayne Van Sant wrote in. Actually, yeah, if you could just give background to this uh, to the listeners, Wayne Van Sant wrote a fictitious, uh, fictitious World War II story called um, Kashuta. Is that correct? Katusha. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, when I read it, because I read that section and I was going, for some, in some, it, it seemed a little appropriate what's going on right now in Ukraine. Well, sure. Do you guys want to talk? Yeah, uh, Richard, I'm going to start off with you. Do you want to talk about this? uh, About the. Okay, for your listeners, this is the longest graphic novel I've ever seen in comics, period. Mm -hmm. One 654 pages. So be prepared for that, but you're getting a lot of story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, She's a young girl who, on the day she graduates from what would be Russia's version of high school, the Nazis invade her country which was the Ukraine, part of the Soviet Union at that point. And she starts off her career as a person in the occupied territory of Ukraine. She's there when Baba Yar, a massive massacre of Jews by the Germans, took place. Um, She goes on the run as a refugee. And then she becomes a resistance fighter while she's hiding in the cave as a refugee. And uh, she starts fighting the Germans from as a resistance fighter. And gradually, after Stalingrad ha- takes place, she becomes a she joins the military with her older sister, stepsister, mm-hmm. and they become tank. And they were tank. Uh, she's a tank driver, and her sister's a tank commander. 
and they fight in the tank corps during big tank battles during World War II. And it just chronologues her story through the war years. And it, she, in it, you can see her sister slowly becoming more and more bitter and cynical and nasty and wanting to think of all that exists in life is killing where she stays somehow hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a beautiful characterization of someone who has every reason to do exactly what her sister's doing. Yeah. But she resisted. And there's a nice little coda at the end that brings you up to date on what she's doing today, but it's set in the Ukraine because the Ukraine's the breadbasket. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a major area to the Black Sea. Soviet Union really wanted it. And there are almost no, to my knowledge, except for Khrushchev, I don't think there's any actual human beings that someone would recognize. Khrushchev turns up in the story in a very, I wouldn't say comical, but unusual role. <laughs> but... Uh, mm -hmm. But this is Van Zant. I don't think is given enough credit as a writer, just mm -hmm. like Steve Glass, Sam Glassman was not given credit as a writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people weren't given credit as writers as good as they were. Jack Kirby, for example, got mm -hmm. a lot of whining about his writing style. And I was thinking, you know, he's not half bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. He has a problem doing modern day lingo for young kids, but hell, every, every writer back then did. Yeah. I mean, so, they were. They're old school, so to speak. You well, know. you're talking about guys who were in their 40s and 50s. Are they really going to have all the slang down that someone in no. 1970s might say? <laughs> My guess is probably not. Yeah, Van Zant, uh, he did his research. And I think what people will learn through this book and Ennis's Night Witches and stuff like that is that the Soviets employed a lot of women in the military yeah. during those war years. As, com as combat troops, not combat, as... Yes. You know, there was, uh, you know, there were snipers, there were tank commanders mm -hmm. and drivers. They were Night witches is about bombers, bomber planes. Yeah. And not nice bomber planes, old World War I bomber planes that they had to glide in to, to drop their bombs in so people wouldn't shoot them down. Yeah. I mean, scary stuff. Well, yeah, they came in silently. That's why they were called night witches. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you couldn't hear them coming until the bombs started going off. <laughs> but they were also flying very low in an old World War I bomber. And they had to start that engine and take off again to get out of the, ba uh, get out of the range of the old bomb they just dropped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Van Zandt and, and Ennis both, you know, when you read the stories and see the visuals, all these females, it, you know, it, it's not glorified and they, it wasn't pretty. And the, you know, they showed conditions that were, you know, very difficult, you know, so, you know, to carry out their duties in, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, these writers and artists, you know, they really, you know, capture, you know, the mood and the feelings mm -hmm. of these characters, mm -hmm. I think. But yeah, Katusha will both say, you need another book to buy? Get that one. <laughs> yeah, it may be long, but it's well worth it. Oh, yes, it? it's worth the time and effort. Well, but It's not only the longest graphic novel, it may be, uh -huh. well, one of the top 10 I've ever read. Uh -huh. 
and I've read a lot of graphic novels. But, you know, Steve and Richard, like you guys said that, you know, like with Ennis, Van Sant, you know, um, Lomax, you know, and Lomax, I mean, um, they want, they, you know, um, you know, they wanted to make these war comics grounded. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's not all glory. It's not someone on the beach going, come on, man, we're going to take this hill. Right. You know, it's, no, it's, you know, you know, you're, you know, I, I cannot imagine in, you know, but, but, you know, but, you know, but for Garth Ennis to do his research to show how, you know, that, you know, these are the conditions, you know, that, you know, the uh, Soviet women as, you know, as, as, um, as, you know, combat troops, what they have, to, what the yeah. horrors of they have to go through, yeah. you know, um, or, um, you know, Lomax, you know, showing what this is what happened. This is what happened in Vietnam. Yeah, you know, um, it's real people with real dialogue. Yes, mm-hmm. and to me, it's the stories are very compelling. Would be a good way to put. It. I mean, they really want you to immerse yourself in the stories and the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Enneth just just completed a uh, a not, and Enneth picks stuff that most people don't know about in America. Mm-hmm. His, his most recent book was about the Chindits, which most people have no clue in this country. I've heard of them, but I never really. And they were uh, Indian troops who fought under the British command. Mm-hmm. And the blunders that they made because, you know, they didn't consider them. Well, the racial thing crops up, but it's not really a racial thing. It's, it's more of a these aren't regular British troops, they're Indian troops. So we, if we throw them into the fodder, just as, as, as ammunition, something that the German or the Japanese can shoot against, mm. it's not going to kill more English boys. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's called the lion and the eagle. Is that right, Steve? Or have I think you so. Them? Yeah, I have them. I just haven't read them yet. Well, you should, boy. They're I, good. I, I, I it, it's not a blunder, a British blunder. Okay. Well, I, and if you really look back at history, even during World War II, uh, British colonialism still creeps into mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. All over the place. Yeah, you know, the attitudes. The Aussies got butchered in World War I because they were considered more expendable than the British. <laughs> yes, like Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Yeah. Gallipoli would oh, be an yeah. example of that. That's right, the movie, yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah, Mel Gibson's in the movie and... And Dale did a comic, you know, World War One, uh, World War Stories, an issue about Gallipoli that Sam Glansman illustrated. Mm-hmm. Yep, there's and your history was... right there. <laughs> yep. And I would like to point out something. You know that, you know, in our research, you know, there's things we haven't, we may have just briefly mentioned or mentioned yeah. in this book, but at this point, we're both kind of working on a second book that's very comprehensive and dell comics was pretty bold in the golden age era but mm-hmm. they actually put out two war books one was called war comics and change war stories and change it to war comics or vice versa mm-hmm. but also they had another book about true stuff called war heroes mm-hmm. so uh, there were comic books back then that told real stories about real people. Uh-huh. So, you know, it was, it's not all fiction, but 
there's some gems there when you go looking. Uh, DC ran a uh, Medal of Honor series in, yes. in the back of their, many of their titles by Nor drawn by Norm Maurer, written mm -hmm. and drawn by Norm Maurer, who was the son-in-law of Mo, Mo Howard. Mm -hmm. Of oh. the Three Stooges. Oh. <laughs> of the Three Stooges. Yeah, yes. his wife was the daughter of Mo. Yeah. And they were really good. And Joe Kubert and a number of other people, Dark Horse started a Medal of Honor book in the 90s, too, and it ran for five or six issues. It was actually mm -hmm. quite good as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those things pop up. Yes. I have uh, Frank Frazetta illustrations from uh, a World War comic from back in probably 1947, 48, where he mm -hmm. was drawing Medal of Honor one pagers. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, heroic comics. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah, I've, 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 I'm still looking for some of those. <laughs> they had painted covers, too. I interviewed one of the guys who uh, worked on that, and he was the guy who painted the covers for it. Was it Norman Saunders or the other, Fuller? Ah, uh, I'm going to have to look. Or, no, it's not uh, Norman Saunders. It was Norman Saunders. Was it H.C. Kiefer? No, it was, it was, he did the last half dozen of them when they were military before they, went okay. Back to, uh, okay. before they went back to adventure on the titles. Yeah. Okay. But um, uh, he did a fantastic job. I've seen the covers and they're really beautifully done. So. Um, but yeah, all those guys got, one of the nice things they started doing in comics for the last few years is when they're doing a story in Astro City or Batman or something, the streets are the streets and the buildings are all named after comic book creators, which I think <laughs> is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, in Astro City, I was just reading it and laughing because you mentioned Kiefer, and he's he's the uh, Astro City slum square. <laughs> the slum was named after Kiefer. <laughs> And believe it or not, the original Wonder Woman artist, H.C. Peters, did a lot of one, two-page stories in those heroic comics yep. published wow. by Famous Funnies. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, there's... And of course, there were... DC did Battle Album for a long time. Uh -huh. There was two pages done by Joe Kubert and Ken Barr and yes. Steve Gladsman and whoever else they could... Walt Simonson, I think, did a couple of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Jack Kirby included in all of his losers issues and his early Sergeant Fury issues, he included stuff about arms and guns and military yes. arts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that in the um, in the epic collection of Sergeant Fury. That's right. Yeah. Well, he also did it in the losers when he was doing those. He was you doing not only were entertained, but you learned. You something. learned something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Off the cuff question: When Jack Kirby, like Richard, you said that um, Kirby did twelve issues of the Losers. You know, do you guys know it has it been collected, or or have you heard rumors if it's ever going to be collected? It's collected. It's it's issued under the Losers by Jack Kirby. It's oh, a full graphic okay. novel. Yeah, oh, and it's I got, got all twelve issues in it, and it's a goodbye. Yeah, okay, I mean, not goodbye like don't read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a good thing to purchase because. Mm -hmm. I have it in my library and I have it in my bedroom. Oh, my shelves are all at. So, <laughs> all right. So, Steve, I'm going to start off with you. This question okay. is that, um, and Richard, please comment. You know, what do you guys think is the future of war comics today? 
Oh, good. well, working. other than DC doing the occasional kind of weird war stuff that they've been doing the past few years, in fact, there's a, a Sergeant Rock and I don't know, is it zombies or something like yes, that? The Army of the Dead. Yeah, it's just coming out or has just started. I'm yeah, sure. I'll I'll buy it just to buy it, but yes. uh, I don't, you know, hold it up to the same criteria as we do the the classic stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, as far as DC, I think Richard will probably comment and say they just want to keep their copyright, you know, <laughs> the characters kind of in in print. And but I, to me, I think it's the uh, graphic novels that you know is uh -huh. the direction that things seem to be taking i mean uh, maybe at this point be a good time to, to mention some of the publishers like yes. uh, aftershock is uh -huh. very good uh oh gosh uh, uh dead reckoning does some beautiful stuff Mm -hmm. And I should mention that Dead Reckoning not only publishes American stuff, they also do Garth Ennis, of course, but mm -hmm. they reprint a lot of stuff from Europe that you don't see here. Mm -hmm. There's a three-part sea battle book. I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. It's done by French artist, uh, French writer and artist. Mm -hmm. Excellent material. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's, I uh, haven't been I haven't been disappointed by any Dead Reckoning book I've read to date. Mm -hmm. I haven't read all of them. Mm -hmm. But I have not been disappointed in any of them. That's saying because it's easy to be disappointed in something oh, yeah. that's not up to snuff. European, European mm -hmm. I'm just going to say I can't think of the publishers, but there's a lot of European stuff that's being translated and printed now in English. Mm -hmm. Beautiful artwork. I mean, my goodness, and different types of stories too. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's that, worth seeking out. I think. Now, Richard or Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, Dead Reckoning, because is that true? Isn't that through like the Naval Press? Yes. Okay. Naval Institute. Yes. Uh, the U.S. Navy publishes these books, which is remarkable enough in itself that they're doing graphic novels. Mm -hmm. That they're doing such a good job on graphic novels tells you that the two women, as far as I'm aware, it's two women who are heading that department know what the hell they're doing yeah it's good stuff it's it is very good material there's also some company in indonesia that puts out books that take place in the um india area mm -hmm. um that do some good stuff and what you were saying before about the two big companies not really doing a whole lot that's absolutely correct unless it's some kind of hybrid yes mm -hmm. yes but there are excellent war books being done for younger children that don't necessarily focus on what people think of as a typical war comic, but they are. Mm -hmm. George Takai did They Called Us Enemy, The Enemy. Oh, it's excellent. Which is about the Japanese internment camps in mm -hmm. World War II. That's a war story. Yes. Um, there's a book from France. I again and the name is escaping me right at this particular spot, but it's it's done by a French lady and uh uh a French writer, a lady writer, which is about a young Jewish girl trying to survive with the aid of a lot of Catholic, because most France is either Catholic or Jewish for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, she was first in a nun's school, and then they had they had to hide her, send her off to v over the line to Vichy, France for a number of years. 
mm-hmm. and then the Germans took over Vichy France. Mm-hmm. So she had to start moving her way down towards the coast to southern France, and the hope that. And it's all story about her four years during the, yeah, five years during the war, when she couldn't find her parents. She wasn't with her parents. She had been at boarding school when the invasion of France came about. Mm-hmm. And uh, her ways of trying to survive it all, having to deal with different people pretending to be her parents, mm-hmm. having to take clandestine journeys at night. I mean, that's a war story, too. Yeah. And there are actually a lot of good French uh, books coming out over in this country, right? There were not all by Dead Reckoning mm-hmm. that are very, very good and beautifully drawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you should keep an eye out for that stuff because nobody draws a good looking French girl like a good looking French guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i also wanna, also sorry steve um full magazine publishing right also does uh yeah full mag yeah uh, full, mm-hmm. by august yule or ool mm-hmm. however you pronounce it yeah he has three issues out i believe mm-hmm. he's working on a fourth one i don't know if it's mm-hmm. come, i don't think it's come out yet but i'll have to take a look because it's been a while i should take a look and see if it has yeah okay Mm-hmm. But uh, he's actually last I heard he was actually going to publish some of Sam's unpublished stories. Oh, that's going to be nice. So, yeah, uh, he did publish the last uh, artwork by Russ Heath. Yes, in his early issues. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and he, you know, there's a guy who I don't know who, Gary Martin. I'm not really that aware of him, but he does nice war stories. So. Okay. Uh, he's a he's a modern day artist, but uh, there are also other ones. Gary, yeah, Quast, I'm not sure I had to say his last name, but he used to draw Conan the Barbarian for a number of years, <laughs> and he does war stories now. He did a couple of books on the Civil War that were really good, mm-hmm. and he did a couple of stories for him. So uh, August's stuff is is well written. He does a good job on it. Mm-hmm. The artists are decent artists, even if I've never heard of them before. And I've heard of a lot of them because he actually went out and looked for uh, war artists from the comics to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, you know, he he it's, it might not come out that often, but it's well worth getting. You know. Yeah. Well, and the, it's also a fat magazine. People looking yeah. at you, oh, maybe for, it's it's like a ninety-page magazine. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're getting a lot of story and a lot mm-hmm. of content for mm-hmm. whatever you're paying for it. Yeah, I would like to mention some other people, other writers like uh, like Max Brooks. He's done yeah. a book about uh, black soldiers that came from Harlem, mm-hmm. uh, Harlem Hellfighters. That's a real good one. There's another book called The Lincoln Brigade about other black soldiers in in mm-hmm. combat in World War One and Basically, they went over and fought for us and came back and were maltreated is a kind way of putting it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, often murdered. Yeah, they didn't get the, you know, the recognition they should have gotten yeah. for, you know, what they did. Anyway, well, those are just. We were talking about segregated units in World War Two. The reason that blacks weren't in combat units in World War II is because they were in World War I and they came back with guns and knew how to use them. <laughs> yeah. And that's the reason that they were not in combat positions in World War II. They were again in the Korean War, mm-hmm. but they were segregated at the start of that too. Yeah. It was Harry Truman who signed the uh, 
deal saying that they were the units had to integrate. Mm. So it wasn't until 1951 or 52. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, you might, I might like to mention some of the uh, quality GI combat. So, yes. you know, that was published by quality before DC picked it up. And if you'll read some of those stories, they actually had stories with, you know, integrated combat units. And there were some mentions of Indochina in some of those stories that, you know, way before, you know, the comic books picked them up, you know, 10 years later. Yeah. So, you know, I, th those are worth chasing down, those, those issues. I'd also like to point out that for about a two-year period during the Korean War, um, Marvel, which was at that time called Atlas, uh, published hot stories that were just as hard hitting as anything that DC mm -hmm. was putting out. Oh, okay. And one of the writers of those who was a really good writer was a guy named Hank Chapman. Yes. And his were noted. You can, you can often find a, Cha a Hank Chapman story, even though, because it would see, say something, the title would be like mud, <laughs> night, dusk. And that's kind of a clue that Hank was probably involved in that, or it was somebody trying to copy Hank's style. Mm-hmm. But he was a very good writer, and he wrote comics right up through the 60s, but he's never gotten the recognition he probably deserves, and his were really good stories. And Stan Lee also wrote a couple of those oh, yeah. Yeah. Korean War ones, and they were not bad. Stan could be a good writer on his own when he needed yeah. to be. Mm -hmm. There's one, one story that stands out to me. I think it was in Battlefield, something like that. It's called the Atrocity Story. That stands up to any... Harvey Kurtzman written story, you know, and, and that's a Hank Chapman story. That's a Hank Chapman story. Thought written, it was illustrated by Paul Reinman. Yes, and it's a great story. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's also a story I think might have influenced Rod Serling on his. Uh, he did a concentration camp story for yes. the Twilight Zone. Death had mm -hmm. revisited. Yeah. Death's Head Revisited, that's it. And it, mm -hmm. it kind of, it reminds you of a story that was written by an unknown writer. I'm not sure who the writer was, but it was illustrated by Sam Puskin, mm -hmm. who I did an interview with his kids. And I read the story and I'm thinking, this sounds like an early draft of Death's Head Revisited. It's the same basic notion. Yes. Is that a concentration camp commander goes back to the concentration camp where he killed all those people and the ghosts come up and get him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I thought, well, you know, if you're going to steal, I don't know if you, Rod Serling was not a thief, but, oh, yeah. but uh, if you're going to be influenced, be influenced by something good. And that was a good story too. Really was. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of good stories got lost in the, you know, the Kefauver trials and when the code was, you know, being touted and mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know, that uh, actually before the comics code, yeah, yes. there's a lot of trash and a lot of just entertainment and mm -hmm. horror and stuff. But there's very some very good stories that, you know, they're they're there. You just have to go look and. Mm -hmm. And luckily, those are the stories that are getting reprinted nowadays too. Which mm -hmm. is good. Atlas at War is an excellent volume to pick up because it yes. details a lot of those Atlas stories, Marvel mm -hmm. stories nowadays, if you call it. There's one called the Anti-War uh, War Book. Oh. Mm -hmm. That covers a lot of the Charlton stories. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, we spoke out covers Holocaust yeah. stories, mostly yeah. by DC. Yes. Yeah. And they are not 
chintzy people doing these. It was Neil Adams. It was yes. Joe Kubert. It was John Severin. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like they were they were sloughing them off on mediocre stuff. They were actually quite good. Yes. And in Dover Books, you know, a few years ago, have two collections of uh, Sam Glansman, GSS Stevens, and then yes. the entire uh -huh. book of all of the DC stories collected too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, there's... And I think that a book that's got a Democrat president and a Republican president writing a foreword, which I've never heard anybody else do, has got to be something because Barack Obama and George Bush Sr. both wrote letters in about the book mm -hmm. and how much they enjoyed it. Yeah. We, we consider Sam one of those, un, you know, all the others get all the, the press, but Sam really deserves a lot of, uh, you know, credit for what he did and contributed to the comic books. Yeah. Joe Kubert once told me that Sam's stories were, there was a quality of charity in those stories. Yes, things, horrible things were happening in some of them about the USS Stevens stories and about mm -hmm. stuff that he'd written himself. He says, there's a quality of charity and a quality of decency in Sam's stories, even when you don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. And that's a difficult thing to do. And Sam did it in four pages, five pages, 10 yeah. pages. But he never did anything longer than 10 pages in the USS Stevens. They were four, mm -hmm. five, and 10. And a lot of his stories are from the viewpoint of the enlisted man, you know? <laughs> Not they weren't that. all grim. Nope. The story about how you got shore leave when you were out at sea and you couldn't drink beer on ship is actually quite funny. They'd find a reef, roll your boat out to it, and drink the beer in <laughs> the boat. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's true stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it really happened. And, uh, but yeah, there's, you know, and there's one story that he wrote called Comic Strip that's, uh, you know, kind of has a comic character in it you know but uh you know it was a humorous look at you know at life in the navy you know on board a ship mm -hmm. all right anyway. Stephen, richard i'm sorry i'm going to start wrapping this up with one last question because i know okay. i know because i i mean we really could talk for hours but yeah we're at two <laughs> yeah. hours you're probably right we probably should yeah at the end of sometime yes <laughs> so I'm going to ask any closing words to our list. I'm going to start off with you, Steve, and then Richard. Any closing words to our listeners? Richard, why don't you go first? Alphabetically. Okay. <laughs> um, I think, I hope that it's significant to publishers that ours was the first American. There was a British one that concentrated on British comics, but ours is the first American book to concentrate as a nonfiction book on on war comics mm -hmm. and it's a success mm -hmm. and maybe that'll tempt a few more books in that line along across the line including you know ones that we write too so i'm not being stupid but <laughs> mm -hmm. um i think that that's that indicates there's a market there that people are not getting addressed at the moment not just for the nonfiction, but for actual stories mm -hmm. um garth ennis has a new book coming out next week British story, British comics out of a British comic publisher. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Wayne Van Zant has a book already completed. I've read it really good about the uh, 
I believe it's the Battle of the Bulge, uh-huh. and a French Foreign Legion member fighting in the Battle of the Bulge, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting idea. Again, nothing I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Lomax stuff, you should take a look at it. It's, it's, I don't know if he's doing anything new at the moment, mm-hmm. but I know he's in the middle of republishing a lot of his stuff. And that's a good thing because, you know, if it's out of print, hard to find. Yes. In print, easy to get right now. Yeah. So over to you, Steve. Well, I was going to say, uh, when we wrote this book, it was hard to figure out what to put into it and what to leave out of it. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and like I said, we've kind of are both, you know, we've probably taken a little break because of other things we've been doing, but, you know, we're trying to put together a second book that really is a comprehensive look at all war comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just, you know, we're writing it. We, like I said, we had a lot of material that we didn't put in that first book. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was already written. Now we're just, organizing but we're also Mm -hmm. finding new material to put into it and expand other things and condense a few things so we don't Mm -hmm. you know repeat too much Mm -hmm. but for the most part you know that's what we're that's what we're trying to do hopefully we're going to get it done you know in a reasonable amount of time Mm -hmm. and another thing i'd like to point out that there are so many great graphic novels coming mm-hmm. out that really you can spend a small fortune on yes. but the thing is it's you know there's anywhere from you know civil war to africa to uh the art of war and and stuff like there's so many different viewpoints and books worth all getting you know that it's hard to pick and choose but we've tried to mention a few things worth getting mm-hmm. so uh but you know there luckily there's still new stuff coming out you know it's yes. and we, we you know we feel like uh, there's those three riders that we really van zant lomax and ennis yes. are probably three of the best ones but there are some others too worth mm-hmm. you know finding so and there's books from even about animals in war so you know so there's one called four footed tales i believe something like that mm-hmm. yeah i think that's right i think uh, i have it it's I have a big stack of things I need to read, but, uh, anyway. well, and the nice thing is, is that if you've never read it before, it doesn't matter if it's new or old, it's all new. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I want to thank you again for wanting to listen to us and ask us questions. You know, we, uh, and thanks for the goodies you sent. I want to good stuff. You don't need to do that again. Okay. No. You don't have to. But uh, they were delicious. <laughs> and much appreciated. Much much thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. We again appreciate what you're doing. No, thank you. So, Richard and Steve, you know, just mahalo. You know, thank you in Hawaiian for your time. Thank you for giving me another opportunity to interview the both of you. You know about you know your incredible book, Our Artists um, at War. You know. I love the, you know, I, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I, I, you know, I, there are a couple of chapters I wasn't able to read, but what I've read so far, you know, it's great. It really is. It really well, thank is. You. You know, thank um, you. and yeah. also too, because, you know, I love that one chapter you guys focus on Charlton comics and especially, especially about Willie Schultz. And I'm glad to hear 
that's going to, it's being collected and it's going to come out hardcover through Dark Horse. Is that correct, Richard? Yes. That's I you can, what I understand. Go ahead. I think you can go to Amazon and possibly go ahead and order a copy. Yes. Okay. I so. ordered mine or pre-ordered mine from Cheap Graphic Novels. Same mm -hmm. thing, though. You yes. get the nice discount and it's oh, yeah. generally they get, you get the book fast. Yeah. yeah. So we hope it'll be out because it's one of those that's been promised for about two years now. So it's taken. Well, it's been in the works for two decades. So yeah, yeah. So, I need her to get it. <laughs> so we should, you know, it'll be well worth waiting for. Mm -hmm. If not just for that final chapter, you know, that we've both seen. So mm -hmm. that's why you got to get the book. <laughs> and if it does well, maybe we'll get the the Iron Corporal or and other stories. Oh, yes, because, that's right. Because the Iron Corporal is a pretty good graphic novel in and of itself, too, by the same two creators. So. Yes. Mm -hmm. Lee Franz and Sam Glansman. Yeah, and other stories would include all the other stuff that Willie wrote. Yeah. So uh, mm -hmm. you know we. There's such a, a, a wealth of, you know, reading and, and of all those. I know war comics is a genre that's not as popular as all the superheroes and what all the stuff. When you go to a comic shop, what you mm -hmm. see, you know, selling. But we think, you know, the two of us and you, of course, believe that this is well worth reading about and exploring and, and yes. the history of them and and there's such a, a, a wealth of, you know, stories that have been done that are worth seeking out and getting and reading. So anyway. Oh, yes. But thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yes. And Richard, I want to thank you very much again for reaching out to me to let me know how, how well the book had, you know, had done. Thank you very much. You know, um, now also, you know, for now for, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader or, or one of those comic book readers that just love war comics, you know, all in, and I'm worth, and I'm talking about any type of from world war one to civil war, to the, even the Vietnam war, you know, please check out Richard and Steve's book, our artists at war, the best of the best American war comics. Again, it's available through tomorrow, the tomorrow's website again. And it's, the, it's T-W-O-M as in Mary, O-R-R-O-W-S. It's through their website. Or, you know, you can order through, through um, your local comic shop or, you know, or even through um, Bud Plant um, Art um, website as well, too. Mm -hmm. so, you know, or just a bookstore. Yes. Yeah, or even just a plain yeah, bookstore yeah. Or, or Amazon. You know, there's luckily there's several sources where you can find the book. Yes. And then, and, and if, you know, and listeners, if you have a friend who, you know, in, who enjoys reading war comics, you know, please consider giving them this book as either as a Christmas present because Christmas is coming, you know, <laughs> like, you know, two, three, uh, about three months away or as a birthday present, just consider thinking about that. So yeah. I also want to, oh, sorry, Steve, what were you guys going to say? Mm -hmm. Some of the books and comics we've mentioned there are available in like graphic novel form and stuff and collected collected forms like the the enemy ace and some you know the, the Jack Kirby stuff and things like that and the, and your EC books there that are yes. those volumes and 
So, you know, we hope that this book will encourage people to go and find those other sources that we have used mm-hmm. and, and read them and get them, you know, it's good stuff. Richard, did you want to add anything to that? I was just going to add that one of our chapters is where can we find this stuff? So you might want to take a look at that too. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a list in there of our favorite stories too. So Right. And we couldn't decide on which ones were which. So he did one and I did one. So yeah. <laughs> and we had to narrow it down too. We could have made the list. And surprisingly, we didn't have that many crossovers, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but probably between me and Richard, we have cornered the market on war comics history. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we hope. There are, I will say, there are other books that are like Roy Thomas has done some books like Wonder Woman in you know, World War II or Batman mm-hmm. or, or Superman. You know, but those are such a narrow focus. This book is, you know, the first one to really expand, you know, and, and cover more, you know, of the of the war comic subject. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now also, and you know, again, Steve, thank you very much. And I want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listener. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Oh, aloha. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, Drew. Yes, thank both of you. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.